0: I've got to tell you guys, before I come up to preach normally, I do get nervous, but today I feel a little bit more nervous than normal. And I think the reason behind that is quite simple. I think that what we're talking about this morning is is about spiritual battle. And uh, I just want to pray as we go into this, and I just pray that um, we don't miss anything that we need to hear individually. I felt that the Lord's given me a, a word this morning and... Although a lot of it didn't seem relevant to me, I think it's going to be relevant for some people in here this morning. So let's just pray. Let's just prepare our minds and our hearts as we go into this. Heavenly Father, I just want you to uh, be here with us this morning, Lord God. Would you open up our minds to the things that we're going to hear this morning, Father? Father, would you help me just to communicate it to people in a way in which they're able to receive it, Lord? And Father, I just pray that um, you already went before us as we've been singing in those songs Um, You are the one that goes before us in all the battles of life, and you fight on our behalf. And if we just keep ourselves focused upon the fact that Jesus Christ is our salvation, then we can overcome any battle in life. You've already done it for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we are on, is this week three? Week three of our series, and we're looking at the armour of God. And we are going to be looking at, if the slide comes up in a second, um, but this morning, uh, I'm just going to read uh, from Ephesians 6, um, which talks about the wonderful armour of God. And it says this, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flame and arrow, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So today, I want to look at the belt of truth. In the New American Standard Version, verse 14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. In the NIV, it says, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And in the New King James Version, it says, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So, In our physical reality, we all know that a belt is what holds everything together and keeps the rest of the armour in its rightful place. It's no good walking into battle if your trousers fall down. Certain items are practical for certain forms of defence. The belt itself isn't exactly something that we would instantly think of as an item of armour that is going to protect us. In fact, it's quite easy to overlook the belt. Perhaps we might turn turn ourselves and our attention to something else before we think of the belt. Maybe we think of the shield. Maybe even the sword. And yet, the belt, in this analogy, is given the label of truth. looking at the function of the bell, You know, when I go spear fishing, it involves free diving. A lot of people keep asking me, what are you talking about when you're talking about spearfishing? Well, it's free diving, and that means that I have to dive under the water without the assistance of any breathing apparatus. I literally hold my breath, but I have all sorts of different equipment that I'm using. But I can tell you now that if I had all the bits of equipment here right now, the one that would get the most attraction would probably be the spear gun. When in fact, there are actually other bits of the kit that are far more important. So for instance, I I have a dive watch and that dive watch tells me how far I've gone under the water and it tells me how long I've been under the water and most importantly, it tells me how long I've been on the surface. Because if I don't breathe up enough before I dive again, then I could black out. So it's really important to have this dive watch. I have two, a two-piece wetsuit, which is obviously there to keep me warm. I have wetsuit gloves that are really important when you're climbing over rocks. They protect your hands. I have, a wet, I have wetsuit shoes on. And of course, the fins that assist me to dive deeper. Then I have a few more of the more interesting pieces of equipment. I've got the mask and the snorkel. And I've got a knife as well, which is for using, if if I was to get caught in some fishing line or by some weed, I could cut myself free from it. And of course, I've got the harpoon gun for shooting fish. But probably the piece of equipment that I can't stand more than anything else is this thing. It's the weight belt. Now, for the purposes of this demonstration, I've taken all the weight off of it because I won't be able to lift it up at the moment. It's pretty heavy. Um, but this thing, why, why has it got weight on it? What's the importance of that? You, to get me down. The reason is is that in the wetsuit, you get air trapped between the wetsuit, and that makes you buoyant. It's always trying to bring you up to the surface. But I need the weight to be able to get down to the seabed where I can lie and wait for a fish. So you can see that the weight belt is absolutely essential. I could have all the other bits of a kit, but I wouldn't be able to do what I'm aiming to do unless I can stay under the water. So it it serves this important function. It keeps me balanced in the water so that I'm able to function. Without the belt, I wouldn't be able to wear a wetsuit for the purpose of diving. And obviously without the wetsuit, I would freeze. So you can see how they're all interlinked and they play a critical role in the pieces of kit when they're all put together in the function of spearfishing. The spiritual belt of truth is absolutely critical in allowing all the other parts of the armor of God to be effective. The belt of truth is about the integrity of character. It's no good at having a fantastic sword of the spirit. It's no good blurbing out all those Bible verses against an enemy if we are not relying upon a foundation of truth. That is character without integrity. You can't build an effective defense system built upon a contradiction. God, for his own sake, doesn't defend the unauthentic. He reads right through it. You can't kid yourself. He sees straight through unauthentic words. If your life is not one which is built on truth, then it completely undermines the function of all the other parts of the armor. Fortunately, though, we're not reliant solely upon our own truth. But in fact, truly, we are reliant upon the truth of who we are in Christ. It is his armor which comes to our defense. It's uh, really important that these pieces of armor are put on in an appropriate order. It's no use picking up the sword and the shield, running into battle, only for the first arrow to deflect off of that shield straight into, into your side. That's why it says here in God's word that we are to put on the full armor of God. Don't disregard any ele- element of it. Don't take for granted those pieces of armor that you think you don't need. God's telling you here, in order to withstand, you need to put on the full kit. Now, as some of you know I'm also, I'd like to do bicycle stunt riding. It's another one of my little hobbies. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've gone riding and I've got. Knee pads. I've got gloves. I've got a helmet. I've got uh, hip pads. I've got shin pads. If I don't put on one of those pieces of equipment, say I don't put on one elbow pad, when I fall off in the, when I ride in that day, where do I land? I land right on my elbow. Every time, you can guarantee it. It's uh, it's just that sometimes we get lazy, don't we? And We need to know that every piece of armour that we have at our disposal disposal is significant. The truth of the gospel is something that all of us should be carrying at all times. Knowing the truth of that gospel for what it means for ourselves is an effective defence against our enemy. Let's look at that enemy. In verse 12, it refers to the enemy as being unseen, not one of flesh and blood, but talks of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so the armor to which this scripture is referring has a very different composition than that of what we would refer to as worldly armor. Anything that we could put together for ourselves in this world wouldn't be of any use against such forces that we're talking about here. You see, it's a whole different enemy. We're talking about requiring a completely different setup and design of armor. Our enemy is crafty. He's more than one step ahead of you and me. And the other thing that you've got to take into consideration is that we're not actually fighting him on a level playing field. The devil doesn't play fair. If perhaps he was here in the flesh and we could actually see him, then maybe we could pick up our swords and take a swing. But unfortunately, he's not playing by our set of rules. In fact, he's imitating God, as usual, with his own agenda, intent on our destruction. He's staying in the shadows. He's staying unseen. Let's make this absolutely perfectly clear. The devil hates mankind. He hates mankind. His influence in this country alone is clear to see. I looked at some statistics from 2022. 602 murders in this country alone. 100,000 divorces a year. 275,000 burglaries a year. 85,000 rapes a year. Satan is manipulating mankind to do his work. And he is at it 24-7. There's only one thing that he hates more. And that is men and women who have actually come to their senses. Seen the world for what it really is. And have decided to follow Jesus Christ as their only option. He hates them beyond any, everything. He's already lost the game to those people. But in the meantime, he turns all attention against them because they on a mission to save others who have yet to receive the good news of the salvation through Jesus Christ. And so he's playing this hiding game. The devil remains invisible, lurks in the shadows, unaware to almost all of our senses. But his works are evident to see. He has numerous strategies to attack us. And this is why our own efforts are futile in defending ourselves. Only under the covering of Jesus Christ is there real protection. It's really important for you and me to note that the armour of God, it says, belongs to God. It is for us to pick up and use. In one sense, we think of armour as something that is strong and withstanding. Immediately, our minds turn to things of strength and resistance. Nowadays, it's all too familiar, isn't it, Um, in our society to see police officers wandering around with these knife-stabbed vests that they're wearing from a material that is designed to withstand a significant force or blow. Our world in which we live is very much a physical reality, and we think in physical terms. And so, if this enemy is not physical in nature, not one that we can see or touch, then any armor of this world that we will try to use will be completely ineffective. See, it's important for us to understand that Not only is this enemy that we're fighting is invisible, but just maybe some of the characteristics of this armor that we have to put on needs to be invisible as well. And so, therefore, we need to understand exactly what it looks like to pick up every available item of the armor of God. Otherwise, we might not be able to stand firm. The whole armor of God, in a nutshell, this is it in a nutshell the grace and the completeness of the gospel of Christ. When you metaphorically put on that belt of truth, you are wrapping around yourself everything that is true about Jesus. You are in fact not reliant upon yourself, but rather on the truth of Christ and the truth about who you are in Christ. So if we put on another piece of armor, let's say the helmet of salvation, then that will also work together with truth, and we must live in the truth of that salvation. Only when we are, are, are not just knowing, but actually believing in what Christ has done for us, then perhaps we will be able to stand firm, resist, be unharmed by the attacks of the enemy. Our confidence in standing firm is that we stand truth of what Christ has done for us in absolutely every situation. And so, if in this battle we are equipped with a belt of truth, what is the weapon of choice that this particular of armour has to stand against? Well, the enemy's most obvious weapon it tries to use against the armour of truth is lies. Now, the issue here is that in our world we have actually something called evidence. So, in a case of, uh, in the case of a court of two sides, they both bring evidence to the to the uh, jury and and the court, and then they have to judge it and sift through the facts in order to draw to a conclusion. Isn't it tempting to ourselves to actually, when we're being put under test ourselves in our daily lives, to start gathering information to support our claim? Our enemy not only fires lies at our direction, but he also wants us to start playing the same game as him. He tempts us to start collaborating a list of evidence in which he then starts to pick up and starts to pull it apart. And worse still, in those areas where we feel that our case is weak, he tempts us to cover that area with a shade of grey. Perhaps bending the truth slightly. And at this point, he knows that we have opened up a crack in our armor. But what does God ask us to do in this situation? Quite simply, to stand firm. Do you know that story in Kings, it's in uh, Kings chapter 3, if you want to read it after the service, of King Solomon and the whole nation become fearful of King Solomon because of the wisdom that God has put upon him. And the story goes a little bit like this. There's two ladies, both have a child, both sleep at night. One lies on top of the other child, suffocating it. It dies. That lady picks up that dead child, takes it to the other lady who's had the child as well, replaces it and takes the the living child back with her, and they wake in the morning. The lady uh, who's lying next to the dead child recognizes that that it's not hers, And says, that's my child over there. Well, the other lady's saying exactly the same and they come before King Solomon. And what does King Solomon say? He says, pick up that sword and divide the child in two. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Can you imagine what went through that lady's mind who the child actually belonged to at that time when he said that? But that that actually tended to be the truth that came out of it, because that that woman said, no, don't kill the the child. Let the child go with the other lady. And in that moment, Solomon knew who the child really belonged to. The true mother of that son had no more evidence than the other woman. She had nowhere to turn. Imagine her despair the moment that sword was drawn. And yet her integrity saw her through. It was not that she wanted what she wanted, but she put her son's life before her own. And all she had done was stand in truth. God's wisdom through Solomon did the rest. We are to stand in truth. Not to be easily manipulated. Not scheming plans, but instead literally remain in a fixed position of truth. If you stand fixed in a position of truth, regardless of all the alternative thoughts and options that run through your mind, you will stand firm. Need to remember the armor belongs to God, but serves to protect you. God doesn't just stand idly by whilst this is all going on. In his timing, He delivers. It's a little bit like when we' were preaching on the walls of Jericho, didn't we? The walls all of a sudden, impossibly, but supernaturally, come down. And we are to stand even when everything around us is crying out for us to, resp- to respond. If you notice in verse 10, it says to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's got nothing to do with how we use the armour. The armour doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him. In putting on his armour, we have everything we need in order to defeat the schemes of the enemy. We don't actually need to do anything. Truth is something that not only we must demonstrate, but it is something that is integral of our character. The truth is, as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to worry about defending yourself. The gospel of peace is what covers your life. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then that truth has set you free. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. The truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that everything else should become subject to Him, including our own lives. Rather than living in a life that the enemy desires us to live, we choose Christ. Rather than follow the ways in which the majority of people live, instead, we choose Christ. Rather than believing in the lies, that the enemy speaks into our lives, we shield ourselves in truth that we belong to a very different set of rules. We obey the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We need not answer to anyone else. And it's absolutely critical for you to get this. Living in the truth of who we are in Christ leads us to a place of freedom. Let's just consider... The Paul, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, a man who wrote almost 25% of the New Testament. Did you know that four of the letters found in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, were actually written whilst he was held as a prisoner? It's slightly ironic, isn't it? That some of the most liberating statements that were ever written by a man who was imprisoned, he was in prison because he stood firm on the belief that Jesus Christ was Lord and that and that he had been proclaiming it wherever he went. But although in prison, it is clear to see by what he wrote, he was free. He was free in this truth, that having received the forgiveness of God for his sins, he was now forgiven and saved. He was no longer a prisoner to his old way of life. From inside the walls of a prison, he wrote letters on how We were to live according to God's ways. Not a set of rules on how you would be able to get ahead of everybody else. Not a a self help book that just gives you a bit of good advice. He spoke the truth from a literal place of imprisonment, but ways which we should live our lives given to us by God. But in a spiritual sense, he spoke truth from a place of freedom, not a prison the deep-rooted truths of who he was in God had truly set him free. In closing, I just want to read you three truths that Paul wrote to all the believers whilst he was in prison. Just three verses from three different books. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says this, it says, it was for the freedom, sorry, it was for freedom That Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, what Paul is saying is, do not go back to the former ways in which you lived. These are the ways that imprisoned you spiritually. These were the ways in which our unseen enemy hinders our relationship with God. Don't do them. Don't go back to them. Colossians. Chapter 1 verse 13. Paul wrote this. I love this verse. He says. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us. Into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is a truth that we all need to know to our core. You and me having encountered the the gospel of salvation, no longer belong to where we came from. That is a fact. That is a full stop. For all those that have given their life to Jesus Christ, that old is gone and the new is here. Don't step back into it. Satan doesn't want you to be a witness to this truth. And so he wants to to tempt you, to demonstrate your old ways. He wants others to look at you and say, what a hypocrite. He still does that same thing. That's not very Christian of him, is it? You don't answer to his ways. You don't play by his rules. You stand firm in the gospel of peace and the truth in who you are now. If the band would like to make their way up, that'd be great. Um, And then thirdly, Paul says this in his letter to Philemon. He says, this is unbelievable, really. He says, for I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's so convicted about what Christ has done in his life, he has absolutely, absolutely handed over everything of him to Christ. A spiritual servant, a slave to Jesus, even though here he was still a prisoner to the Romans in the flesh. His whole life was exemplified to all as an uncompromising follower of Jesus Christ. His identity was not wrapped up in who he was no more. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he knew it. Let's just pray, and then the band are going to lead us in one final song.